Okay, John, thank you for coming on the show. Um, if you just want to introduce yourself, tell everybody what you do and um, you know, who you are, what you do, I think it's easier than me doing it just in case uh, I get a few bits wrong. No problem, Chris. Um, my name's John Willis. I'm head of recruitment at UK Football Scouting. Um, is my current um, position. Um, I've been in scouting for a long time. I've been scouting for a long time. Spent um, two years at Norwich when they were in the Premier League, scouting for their academy. Spent two years at Ipswich, um, and now work more independent. So I'm scouting independently and put players into clubs all over the UK, really. Um, for using contacts I've got at different clubs. Um, the idea of UK football scouting is basically we hold trial events over the UK um, just in an attempt to give players the opportunity to be scouted. Um, I come from background of football. I played played youth football, went into pro clubs, um, was at a pro club, didn't get offered a pro contract at 18, um, come out of the pro game, went into non-league football, which I found really tough. Um, real tough tough world non-league football um, got promised trials at pro clubs and nothing ever come of it I went on a couple of open trial things that were really again difficult where you're competing with 100 players um, knew I weren't going to make it basically you get to come to a point and thought this isn't going to happen so started looking at what I was going to do and I, I set up a company football career centre um, which was geared to helping players that had been released from clubs to try and help them. Because it's difficult once you come out, you, know, you don't really know what, what to do. Um, set up football career, help players to get back into the game and full-time or high levels in our league. Yeah, you, you were saying they're one in 100 and that was the people who were already good, who were already in an academy. Um, what's the kind of percentage of uh, lads who end up making it? Well, when we when we spoke before, I looked and they say um, less than a percent of the boys who are actually in the academy at nine actually make it. Um, so you know, and it's tiny, isn't it? They're the kids that are already in the system as well. Um, so then, obviously, there's already a bat. There's then a battle for the positions to get into the academy as well. Um, so I think. I looked at the figures and it says 180 kids out of 1.5 million um, playing grassroots football would actually make it as a footballer. <laughs> so the odds are against you, if you like. What, what, what do you think the big difference maker between those who make it and those who don't is? Is it, uh, like we were saying, is it nature versus nurture? Is it kind of, are they born with just God-given talent or are they... You know, do, do they have some help behind the scenes? Is it their mentality? Um, I'm, I'm really obsessed at the moment with that, Jordan, the Michael Jordan documentary, The Last Stand, and just seeing that, yeah. like, the ferociousness of him. And, uh, like, there's memes going around where he'll say something like, oh, and he looked at me out of the corner of his eye, and then at that moment, you know, it made it personal. Or it was like he, 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 yeah. sniffed, he sniffed, <laughs> and at that moment it was personal. And, like, everybody's, like, taking the mick out of it a bit. Um, but... He was actually like that, you know. Somebody would just say "good game" and tap mm. him on the back, and he was like, "Next time, I'm going to score sixty points." Is that the kind of ruthless mentality you need to have? Or because we see players like Phil Foden, who seem really relaxed and like nice guys, but they, he still made it, you know. Yeah, I think we, there's a mix. I think you do get the natural ones, like you know, you don't. No one, no matter how much you train, you're not going to be messy. Ronaldo, these guys are. I think they're naturally gifted people, you know, the Maradonas, Paul Gascoigne. Um, you know, Paul Gascoigne is a player I see growing up and he's naturally just a footballer. Um, he wasn't a massive trainer. Um, so he's not when you look at his lifestyle, it wasn't great what he ate and what he drank. But when he went on to football pit, he was just naturally very, very good. Um, so I think you get those. I think you do have to have a mentality like what you were talking about I think you do have to be resilient um, it's not easy in a football change room um, you know you especially if you're coming into a change room you're a new player and you're going in you're about to break up a, a team you know and the, the first question you get asked I've been on trials before where you go into a club first question they ask all the time is what, what positions you play because yeah. they want to identify who's whose position you're after um, you know and then 
if it's one of their one of their mates, it, they they can make that day really difficult for you. Um, so, and that's where you do have to be mentally strong to say, "I'm not having this," or you know, or do you just say, "This is difficult," and don't perform. I agree um, with that. Yeah, it's what one of my big yeah. problems with football is that it's an eleven-player sport, which means that let's say I used to be out on the wing, so if people saw that you were having a good game off, there was a scout there, the ball's not coming your way for the rest of the game. You know, you could be wide open and they turn inside and pass it elsewhere or take a shot. And um, yeah. I, I always regretted uh, not going into something like boxing where I had a little bit of natural talent in it. My dad always taught me, but I knew that if I knock someone out, I win. Like there's no, if somebody hates you, it doesn't mm. matter. You win, you win, you win, you rise up. But in a team sport, you know, you're kind of governed by, like in boxing, the coach can't take you off. They can throw in the towel, but they can't take you off and sub you, you know, sub you for someone else or you're not starting today. You know, it's one-on-one. So I was always, you know, devastated that I didn't do that because you go into a team sport and like I said people can either not pass you the coach might just play their son instead of you and I always thought that was uh you know something I should have looked into I think it's a it's a mix isn't it because at the same time and the team can lift you if you're if you're having if you're having a real tough time as an individual you're on your own um where you know I've had plenty plenty of bad games um (laughs) where your team get you out of trouble and someone would say get hold of you and say, come on, John, you know, and then, and it'll just make you relearn. You think, right. And then it, your team can carry you a little bit and, and help you out. And you don't have that with individual sport, do you? So I agree with what you're saying. I think individual sport is easier. I think it probably is easier if you're very good. Yeah, um, if you're elite, then if you're one of the best as an individual, then it probably is easier. Um, I say easier, it's still not easy, obviously, but um, maybe that part, I think. But the team, I like a team environment, I think. You know, I I like that part of it. Um, I think if you can get a good team with a good mentality and a good bond, then you're very hard to beat. Um, that's, I think that's what, that's sort of what you need as a, as a team, not necessarily 11 best players, but if you can get a dressing room that's tight and you know really know know everyone really well, that can be really difficult to to replicate anything else. Yeah, because you think you've got like somebody, for example, a Gary Neville who would never be in anybody's world eleven. But if you were building a team, you'd probably consider him, wouldn't you? You'd probably put him in. Yeah, you'd take him. Yeah, yeah. On the uh, basis of skating, modern skating, what's the kind of setup now? Is it completely different to how it used to be? Are you looking for separate talents? I mean, I, I've read all of the Barcelona and Pep Guardiola books and the way that they say that a kid might be skinny and small, but you know, and he might not be the best player on the field, but he has the best technical ability. And they think, okay, if we wait two, three, four years, he's going to, you know, they, they sign based on um, potential and future growth. Is that something we're doing in the UK now? I think it, a lot of it depends on the club. Um, clubs are different. Some, I think we, I would say we're not as, maybe not, don't look to the future as much as maybe other nations do. Um, I think probably the thing you have with scouting is the easiest ones to pick out, the ones that stand out. So, and they might be the biggest, strongest boys, might be the quickest one. Um, the problem we have is the little technical one it might be younger than everyone else. Um, I know when we spoke before, we had a brief chat about you know, late birthdays. Um, there could be someone on the field who's a year, maybe sometimes more than a year younger than everyone else. Um, so they won't stand out. So them ones don't get picked up all the time. So clubs have, have noticed that. That has been recognised. And we had a thing at Norwich called the Futures Programme, which is purely just a group of late birthdays. So they all got to train together. Um, and, you know, in a, a year is a long time when you're developing. Um, and you, they might not, certain players might not have grown, grown yet. So, and when they do, technically, they're more advanced than the ones that were bigger at the time. So there is a massive thing for, you know, I, I think that's, that's something I try to do is look at, will, will he where will he be in sort of two, three years' time? Um, then you get the thing of watching a player and maybe thinking he's playing wide, but he's never going to be a winger. 
Um, yeah. Obviously, it's, in my opinion, not set in stone, but I might think you know, he'd be a really good fullback. Um, and then I would look at look at maybe that. And I think when you first get start scouting, the same as me, I would never have thought that. I would have just gone and said, he's not very, he hasn't got past his fullback at all. He hasn't put any crosses in and put a cross by his name. When now I've been scouting for a long time and seen a lot of players. Now I might be thinking, do you know what? I'd like to see him at fullback and then maybe look at that option rather than seeing him as a winger and just crossing his name off. Yeah. Um, a friend of mine's son is currently, I'm just thinking about when you said the size difference. A friend of mine's son is currently, a, um, well, I won't name the team because it's probably not fair, but uh, he's also being looked at by a top, top Premier League team. One of the, I mean, the, the old big four, if you could. Um, and it's a team that used to be known, people will figure it out, but as long as we don't say it, it's safe, isn't it? But um, <laughs> they used to be known for their football, you know, they're very Barca-like in their style. Um, and he's being looked at by them. The problem is, they said he's got all the ability in the world, he's skillful, he's exactly what they were looking for 10, 15 years ago. Whereas now they said they're looking for bigger lads. Like they want players who are minimum five foot ten. Um, and he's got an Indian father, so he's Indian himself and an Indian mother. And I've seen that there's a big problem with people from kind of Asian backgrounds in terms of size and getting scouted. Uh, I think Copper90 mm-hmm. did a documentary on it where they said that they've had to create their own league because they're just not being looked at. Um, is it, wow. Number one, uh, what's going on there with the kind of Asian footballers? Um, is it something that scouts still look at or is it a problem? Um, and what about the size thing in terms of like those top teams is is that something we're going to see in the future you know the old the old motto of a big a good big one is better than a you know a small good one. a lot of people said that yeah so I think it will depend every club has their own DNA um, of an academy player that they sort of you know, be called the academy DNA and that's what you would scout by so that might be we're looking for small technical players that good on the ball intelligent um, another club might be looking for just athletes um, physically strong quick powerful um, I've always been of a mind where I think you need a mix and maybe that's sometimes I find the problem when you have a DNA of a certain player then you have 11 of them and going back to what yeah. we said they're not going to make a good team having 11 messes isn't going to be a good football team because you're not going to be very good at defending, um, you know, and that's the only the only problem because there'll be some players like where you mentioned Gary Neville. You might not you might not put him in your world eleven, but you don't have him as your fullback um, if you're building a team. So I think it's good to have a mix. I think there are there's some fantastic small players around. There, I don't think it's a case that they're not being picked up and they're not being scouted. Um, it's just. The problem you have is you scout them, you put them in the academy, whether they come out the other end and the first team manager thinks they're good enough to play for the first team is then not your decision as a scout. So, you know, yeah. we put them in and then it's down to a lot of other people once, once our job's over then. Um, we put them into the club and then it's down to, to the player for one and then the coaches to believe in that player. Then the then the under twenty ones manager to believe in that player. Then the first team manager to believe in that player. So um, it's a long the, road. After. Is is that the kind of motto of the teams now though? So like let's say they've got eleven players or ten players because obviously the keeper, but ten players that are similar in terms of like that build that criteria that we mentioned, um, and they lose maybe more games than they should, but then one or two make it through the conveyor belt and make it into the first team. Is that kind of the mentality? Yeah, that's, mentality? Your main, that's the main goal, isn't it? Um, to produce players that go on and play professional football for the football club. Um, so I think you know, you're always, they're always looking at sort of one or two from each age group that they, they think you know, they've, they've got a chance, that one's got a chance. Um, and then you know they'll, they'll do what they can to push them players through. Um, the problem is... is for every one that makes it, like we said, out of a group of one age group, you might have a 16, 20 player squad and only one of them is going on, you know, each time. There's a lot of boys left without a football club. Yeah, it's a shame. 
What's what's it like in uh, other countries? I don't know if you've been around and had a look. I imagine you've travelled a bit. Yeah, I've been to, I mean, Holland's very good. I went to Holland yeah. and did some work in Holland, and they were very based around small-sided games. Everything they did was games, so it was little four v fours. I think we, the FA, sort of started to get on board with that concept, but they've been doing it a long time before us. So. Uh, for example, even I was running my independent academy and I was doing that before the English FA had brought it in as a thing that we did here. So I was doing a lot of little 4 v 4 games and, you know, you can do so much in a small-sided game. But at the same time, there's, you know, there's a there's room for much other types of coaching as well. I think you need a good, it's all about a good mix and balance, isn't it? Um because you know, if you just if a player's only ever played small sided games, they're going to struggle in other areas of the game. Um, you know, but I've I, I had a player that I see last season, and he was Spanish, and he was 16 years old, and he just come to an open trial, and he was very good. He was physically he was a good size, he was good on the ball, technically really good. Um, and I sort of spoke to him and said, "Who have you played for?" Oh, nobody. And thought, "Wow." You know, he's not played. Weren't I spoke to him after and spoke to him and his his dad that he had been at an academy in Spain. Um, now he just didn't say that it might have been Valencia. I can't remember the club who he was at, but I, I had a chat with him and the problem he had in his game, he never put a cross in or he never had a shot. He never had any real final product. He was very good between the halfway line and the opposition box. Um, and I had a chat and I said, this is where you need to improve if you're going to, go on and play academy football. Um, and he said, the reason I did that, I've never played, I never played with any goals. So all oh, through really? his, you know, yeah, I was, you know, it was fascinating to hear someone say, he said, I'm not used to playing with goals. So, so he was just trying to keep the ball. Doing. Yeah, just keep ball wow. sessions all the time. Everything, keep one small sided. So, you know, and technically he was excellent. He's now, he's actually gone and signed a two-year contract at um, a conference club and he's within their academy now in England so you know he's I we recommended him in there and he went down there and they signed him and he's he's doing all right then you know hopefully he'll move on and go and play at a league club um it'll just be him adapting now to our style of football um because it's obviously we use he's gonna have to use a goal now (laughs) so um and his final product was his but he's scoring a lot of goals for them, so he's obviously, you know, does. If you've got the other bits, that's, he just needed that one side of his game just to come on, and you knew he was going to have a chance. Um, and he's obviously doing that now. Is is there any what's what's the kind of link between international success, or should I say, uh, in England, international failure that we've had? Um, would you put that down to the players? Have we got a small pool of players? Is it the scouting? Is it the coaching? Or I, I've kind of got a theory that it's similar to America, where they, they've got a big competition of sports, but their population is so big they can account for it. I think our mm. competition in the UK is that we have clubs, we have a lot going on, we have um, you know like Xbox, PlayStation games now, we have Netflix, television, like all these components. Um, and there's just so much competition and people do have access to good jobs, qualifications, etc. I, I just think we've got less people trying to vie for those positions than maybe, let's say, with respect to a country that has a lower income and that's kind of the only way out. What, what would you mm. kind of put it down I, to? I, don't, I think the amount of people, when we looked at the figures earlier and you said there's 1.5 million kids playing grassroots football, I think that's a lot. And if, it's still a good number, yeah. yeah. If we have even more, then there's even less people making it. There's only the same amount will be able to go into. There's only so much room at professional academies um, to take. I don't. It's a hard one, isn't it? It'll become an opinion thing, right? It of you now. I think at past at times, I think we've maybe tried to play a way that's different um, to what the English game is known. Like when we grew up, it was four four two. You played a big number nine and a little number 10, and you hit the nine as early as you could, and he flicked it on, and the 10 running behind. Um, we went to tournaments and started trying to and play three at the back, and you know, and then we'd go and play the new four, two, three, one type formation, and I, I wonder would we have done better in some of them competitions if we just played an Andy Carroll up front and said, go and be a handful, or agree, a crouch, yeah. and 
know, it's, again, it's opinions. I, it's, listen, I want to play football. I want to see good football. And I want to, but there is sometimes I think we pass it without no purpose. Um, and that's across all levels of football. I think we're obsessed with this tiki-taka from Barcelona, which in when I look at it and I talk about it, I think they've fooled us a little bit because when you look at the players they've got, you know, you can't replicate that with yeah. players yeah. who aren't technically as good as them. So I think you need to play for your strength. Um, I'm currently working in the Ryman Premier League. Um, again, with Kem, is it, who I've done a lot of work with, and he's, you know, our budget isn't as great as others. So we need players that work hard. We're not going to be able to go and say, well, I'll tell you what, let's go and play like Barcelona do. Because we haven't, we're not going to have the players that can do that. We're not going to play out from the back because then we're going to make a lot of mistakes and we're going to concede a lot of goals. So we're going to build our team around hard work, discipline, good shape. Um, and I think that's the, I think maybe we haven't done that with the England side. I think we've, if you look back at the big competitions, we've always played players where they don't play for their clubs. We've yeah. taken players who Skulls haven't played a single league game. Yeah, Skulls playing on the left leg. When the whole Lampard, Skulls and Gerrard thing was this almost comedy, wasn't it? Where yeah. you had to play all three of them. So one of them had to play out of position rather than just saying who's the best player in that role and we play and one has to get left out. You know? And I think every competition we've done that with, and we've, you'll find we'll go to a competition and we've got a player starting who hasn't played one game for his club. Yeah, you know, so, Walcott was like that, wasn't he? Mm-hmm. Well, we took him at 17 years old and he didn't yeah. play, did he? And it's like, yeah. what? It's, I don't see why I'm all for taking a 17 year old because Michael Owen did it and he scored that goal against Argentina, didn't he, at that age? So it's possible to do it. But if, if you're going to take him, then play him. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, I, I know we spoke about the numbers game in terms of making it as a holistic approach. So let's say a million or so lads trying to make it and whatnot. Is there anything that people can do or players can do in terms of the numbers game when it comes to a positional sense or you know, like we spoke about the other day or anything that they can do to stand out, let's say uh, just be the hardest worker or just find something unique. I, I, I read a book a few years ago called The One Thing by Gary Keller. Um, he's like a billionaire from real estate now and everyone thinks that he got there by selling the most homes he actually got there from getting the most homes listed and he forgot about selling the homes he was like I'll just get them listed and somebody else will sell them and that kind of created a niche for him and he became super successful and you see plenty Mm. of players that have just they just do one thing very well and they've carved out a career in multiple sports I mean you've got Dennis Rodman who couldn't score a basket in basketball at all but he was the best defensive player um would you recommend anything like that so that they can so players in the UK can kind of increase their percentage of making it is there maybe a certain position that gets played less or a certain skill that most people don't have anymore that's not seen as fashionable um, I would say that when I'm in my experience of when I run trial events or I'm at trial there's much more attacking players so, you know, you've got the wide players, the forwards and the attacking midfielders would be the higher percentage of the where players say they play. Um, so, you know, if you're a good fullback, you know, our club's getting letters every day from fullbacks asking for trials, probably not. You know, they're, they're probably all forwards and attacking players. Um, I think players need to... My advice to players is always to look at their attributes and it's it's all right to know what you're not good at. You know, so yeah. I wasn't quick. So I didn't run past anybody. You know, <laughs> so, whereas I see players who, I spoke to a striker not longer, one of the, and all he did was try to run in behind all the time, but he wasn't quick. So, you know, and I asked yeah. him, why do you keep running in behind? Like, And he said, and you could tell he just thought that's what you had to do as a, as a forward is, I need to run in behind. So, I said the centre half is obviously much quicker than you, so why don't you come short and get it to feet? And then you may be able to lay it off, then spinning behind and give yourself a little bit of head start. And he just looked confused at me as if, oh, right. And, you know, he'd obviously never been told that before. Um, And he literally got himself in a foot race every time (laughs) and he lost every time. But still, next time he thought, I'll have another go. And, you know, I think sometimes knowing, like I said, knowing what you're not good at can be a strength because then you don't do it. And 
you know, you get players who just will get around the football pitch and, you know, they just give you everything, you know, and you need one of them in your team all the time, one or two of them. Um, and they might not be the greatest footballers in the world, but what they do is they, they make that team. I don't you could a James Milner type, if you like. He, he causes a lot of debate, I'd say, whether people like him, people don't as a footballer, but he gets in every tide. No matter who Liverpool was signing, he's still there playing. He gets in the England team, so he must be doing something right. When you speak to people and they say he's not very good, you know, so yeah. um, he's doing all right. Um, you know, and he, he's not my favourite footballer. If you said he was my favourite footballer, he wouldn't be in the list, but he, what he does do is he, obviously for a manager, when you get to work with players, I think that's when you learn about them. So we see them on the telly or we see them when we go to games and you don't really get it but when you get to know a player and they've played for you you get a trust in certain players you know they're going to go and do the exact thing you ask of them you know we don't get to see that bit in the Premier League where we see the fullbacks maybe playing really high and we're shouting at the telly why is he not coming back the manager's no good because he's not telling he might be telling him that he needs to be back there and he's just not doing it because he might be that type of player where he doesn't remember and when he's in the game he just wants to get forward and then he's forgetting the tactical side of it that the manager's asked him to keep a tight shape or tuck in and you're not doing it we then blame the manager and say he doesn't know what he's doing but some players don't always do what you want them to do exactly when you want them to do it mm. <laughs> you know and you, whereas some do and you know that throughout 90 minutes they'll never be out of position they'll never let you down so you know it's is it, I was just going to say, do you think that's why players like Henderson, Milner, that kind of get, they get slated, you know, by the average person? You know, I, I personally don't think they're that great. Um, but when you look at the statistics and you start digging deeper, you're like, wow, yeah. And, and they do exactly what the manager asks of them. So do you think that's why they're... Exactly. They're both, and when you look at those two, they're both really fit, aren't they? Yeah. You, know, they, you don't need to take them off. You know they're going to give you 90 minutes of that high, high quality... Um, all the time so you know but then you when you then flip that you need your players up to you need your salary maybe not working as hard as them but all in your football match and I think it always goes back to what we said earlier where you've got to have that team and that mix and you've got to have your hard work in your engine and then you've got to have the flair to go and win football matches because they're the ones that get all the money and they're the ones that get all the plaudits because they're scoring the goals and setting up the goals but Without them two behind, they'll be when you're when you're at a football club or you're in that environment, they'll be the quickest people to tell you how good they are. You know, they're the ones that their opinions what matters because they'll say if you say who's the best player in the team, you'll tend to find they won't choose the flair player. They'll say it's the Milner or the Henderson because they can see how much running they're doing. Yeah, that's what my dad always used to say: players, players, the best award to get because that's you're recognised yeah, exactly, by your yeah. peers, and they know they know obviously the game, they know more. So, um, do do you think there's any players that were superstars for other countries that have gone on to have like great careers that wouldn't have made it in the UK because maybe of the birth date thing that we spoke about the other day, or um, maybe because of their skill set? Like, would would a bird camp have made it in the UK for his lack of pace, or you know, somebody similar like that? I always, uh, with Bergkamp, I like liking him to showing him a little bit. So, and showing him wasn't quick Maybe, at all. Yeah. You know, fantastic player. Um, you know, he's, he's done, he done really well. He's a great player, Teddy Sheridan. Um, and I think, I, I don't think, there's Kevin De Bruyne is a good one. He was, a, I'm sure he was a late birthday. Um, I did have, we got a list of um, players that were late birthday through that future program I said about. And, I know Messi's on there. I think um, Iniesta might be on there as yeah, well. Yeah, I think Iniesta yeah, is, yeah. He's a late birthday. Um, there's a lot of them. And Kevin De Bruyne was one. And obviously, De Bruyne was here with Chelsea yeah. before. And some people don't remember that because especially the younger sort of supporters. But he was at Chelsea and he didn't he didn't break in and do what he's done now. Um, he, went, he had to go abroad and he went abroad and he played and then he's come back. And, you know, this, so maybe you could class De Bruyne as not making it here. I don't, I don't know if you could class it. He has now, but yeah. he didn't. Um, and would Me- would Messi come through our academy system and play in the Premier League? That's a, that's a, that's a question on its own, isn't it? It's, um, 
Now, I personally would say you'd find it difficult um, to get I, through. I agree, because, yeah. You know, if you, the problem we have is people look at Messi now and say, would he play in Premier League? Of course he would, um, because he's that good. But would he be that good if he didn't come through at Barcelona or, you know, come through that the route he took? If he was an eight-year-old, nine-year-old here, would he have got signed? Would he have got scouted? You know, it's, it's, a, it's unknown. We don't know. Well, I, I, I heard a story from Bruni. He was talking about PK and Vidic. He said uh, when Vidic was playing up against, uh, I think they had Chelsea the following week. He knew he was playing against Drogba. He said he'd be in the gym um, like three days before, just hitting the weights relentlessly, heavy weights, heavy weights, compound lifts, just trying to get himself like prepared for that muscular battle against Drogba. Um, they said whereas somebody like PK just got smashed to pieces. They said they played somebody away. I can't remember who it was. It was a lower team, but um, he got smashed around by the bigger lads and that was kind of the end of his career. And then he headed back to Barca and flourished under that style. And I always think of Cannavaro, a five foot nine centre-back. Like he probably never would have made it in the UK because he would have lost so many headers. And I think that's, that's the difference in the game, isn't it? And the style of football. So it's not necessarily our academy system that's the problem. It's you know, the style of football is different. So, you know, you don't, yeah, there's Diego Costa in Spain who was the big, you know, that type of striker and he, he caused them all sorts of problems there. Um, you know, he's almost, he's hard to deal with for the centre-halves. They're not used to that. They're used to the little technical players that, you know, you just press them and then they'll give the ball and then you get back into your shape rather than that physical non-stop battle. Um, like someone like Drogba, you just don't want to play against him, do you? No. As a centre half, you just like <laughs> you're going to know you had a game that day. You know. <laughs> do, you, do you think in the UK we should be more proud of our style, kind of, especially when we go to tournaments? I know you said earlier we should play to our strengths, but do you think we should be like we are British? Here's our identity. We, yeah, it's not the cleanest looking style, but it's, it's effective. Because I've always had this I debate. Do, yeah, that... I don't, and I think. Sorry, I, I was just going to say I've always had the debate that the best player ever is Ronaldinho but the most effective is Messi, Ronaldo, Maradona, etc. because they win trophies, they score goals. But the, in terms of talent, is Ronaldinho. But if you were building a team, you'd build it around Ronaldo. And I think it's the same with kind of the British style. It's like, yeah, it might not be easy on the eye, but Peter Crouch did score an incredible amount of goals. Well, yeah, if you, when I'm, I'm a Spurs fan and it, when Van der Vaart was at Spurs and he played with Crouch, he scored more goals than I think he scored any season. Yeah. And that was purely because Crouch just takes up defenders. You know, he occupies defenders because he's that tall and people are wary of him as a presence. Um I think we I think we do we should have played I think it doesn't matter what your strength is, I think you just display to it. So if your strength is getting it forward, I know that we just said about PK, he he struggled because of that physical side of the defending. So when we play Spain, why don't we go and play like that? Instead of playing yeah. one up top and lively players around trying to run in behind, which they are used to dealing with, why don't we just go and play with two big men and say, just go and make it really difficult? And, you know, they ask questions of them. I think we're very, it's really easy in football to worry about the opposition. So, you know, do we, when we, we will look at a team on a Friday night when we've got a game on Saturday and you can get caught up in going, oh no, they've got him. And they've got him. They've got. Should we change our formation, or should we play him at the back? Because to deal with him rather than saying let's just play our way, and let's go and ask questions of them. Because at the end of the day, it's eleven men and eleven men, isn't it? Yeah. You know, it, it, when you get to that level, it is all about mistakes. They're all good players. They're all you know. This if you're playing a World Cup, everyone there is a good player, um, and it's about who's going to make a mistake. A lot of the time, football's so technical now. And when you look at the Premier League, some of the, you watch all the big games, you think this is going to be amazing. Man City versus Liverpool, 1-0. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's 0-0-0. Because they're, they're tactically set up so well. That, you know, And they don't make mistakes. They don't make as many mistakes as players used to or lower down the divisions. There are obviously been more mistakes as you go down. And so it's all men. It's the mental side of the game is... Now, the physical athletic of, of the players and the mental side is just so high. Yeah. 
One thing that I've been looking at recently in uh, you know, recent years, every team plays with one striker. It's very rare you see a team with two strikers, which I actually mm. think is a mistake. I think if you've got a ton of possession, you should probably go something like a 3-5-2 and just get the crosses in. Um, yeah, I think it's hard with a three. I think the, one, the three at the yeah. back is one them dividers, isn't it? It's like, it's a love or hate formation with a three at the back. But I think, you know, with a 4 4 two and, you know, we even in even down in the Ryman Premier League where I've been working, there's, they're playing one up front in there. So even down to the non-league levels, playing the four-two-three-one like everyone else is, it's um it is just the go-to formation it seems now um, that everyone plays. But we we have we did go to two up front a lot of times um, last year because you get people in it's it's easy to deal with one you've got two centre halves and yeah. one player to deal with whereas when you start asking them to go and mark someone each and you haven't got that spare one to deal with any mistakes that the first defender makes then it becomes difficult for them but, but that gamble is you leave yourself empty in midfield if the other team's got three in midfield and you've got two your two have got to be very good and they're going to have to work very hard if if you were a young striker now then and knowing that most teams only play with one up front, what what would you do? Because that's the probably the toughest numbers game. Well, maybe apart from goalkeepers, oh, yeah. But... yeah, it's um it's hard because if you're if you can't get hold of it, it's gonna be difficult for you to play up as a one. Um if you're that sort of like you think players like Michael Owen, you know, he wouldn't be able to play in that, that current formation up on his own. He probably yeah. could play it but you wouldn't, you wouldn't get the best out of him from it. Um, you know, when they were, I think they must have been, were they playing with Heskey there, weren't they, at yeah, that yeah. sort of time? You know, so someone who did the, you know, you called it the dirty work, if you like, and you go and be physical and get in people's faces and make it difficult. And then the little ones profit on the mistakes and the knockdowns. And, and that's where the percentage football comes in. If you stick it onto a big man, non-stop all game, there's, you're going to get a chance where the ball drops down or the ball goes in behind and someone's going to get on the end of it. Um, and I think with the one up front, it's much more difficult. You find a lot of strikers get isolated um, so much in the, um, in the current formation. Wow. And it, it's hard for the teams who are not as good. When you see them play the big sides, they play so deep and then they kick yeah. it long to their forward. He gets hold of it and he's waiting, he's waiting, he's waiting and then he gets dispossessed. It's just because he's got no one backing him up. Yeah, I was looking the other day, the average striker gets something like, I think it was just slightly less than 40 touches per game. I think it was like 37, 38. You think, God, in a 90-minute game, that's, that's, that's not a lot of time to well, impact yeah, a game. I think the thing is, out of 90 minutes, you're only on the ball for like two minutes, aren't you? Yeah. A player. Collectively, A player yeah. is only on the ball. Yeah, the rest of the time you're talking, running, getting into shape, you know, and doing the hard parts. And that's what I try and get across the players now when when we do events and I get the players in and we try and we try and talk to them about that because everyone I see is okay on the ball, they're good on the ball. Um they don't understand the game. Um, you know, they don't understand there's two sides to football that there's with and without the ball. They they a lot of players use that time without the ball to rest. <laughs> you yeah. know, so rather than, you know, work hard to get the ball back, they use it as rest time. Um so that part we try and get across and you think they can do all these tricks with the ball. Uh, the, the skill levels of players nowadays, compared to when we were young, was is huge different. They can all do these skills and it's around the world and tricks and things. And but you're only touching the ball for two minutes. Yeah. So for 88 minutes, or 90 minutes probably with the time added on, you've got to be doing the other bits that you don't like doing. That's really eye opening. Uh, that's that's massively eye opening. I wish I'd been told that at like 10 years old. Because it just exactly, shows you yeah. that like all, all the work's being done with the ball and you think to yourself, well, actually, there's a lot of positional work going into that. There's a lot of you know, stamina work, the sprint work, etc. You know, the awareness around yourself. There's, we should be and, uh, training so much more in different areas. Um, I think the problem as well is you're, you're doing all that part yep. and then you're tired yep. <laughs> and then you get that opportunity to do the bit you're good at and you don't do it because you're tired. Yeah. And then you're not capable of doing the bit that you've actually been waiting for. So, you know, that's why players have to be so fit. Yeah, and I think do. that's another thing is the fitness and the work ethic is, you know, it's massively important. And that's what, really, you know, I always get asked, what would I advise, and that's it, is get yourself fit. 
it. No one can help that bit. You know, that's down to you how fit you get. Yeah. You know, you can't, we can train every day. Of course we can and you get fitter. But your natural fitness as a person, just doing extra things when, for yourself to keep yourself fit, eating correctly, um, looking after yourself is down to the individual. And I think I would never go on to a football trial and not be fit. You know, whereas it does happen. I see a lot of it and I have to say to them, I could never put you into a club or technically I could, you know, but I couldn't send a player in who can't last 40 minutes. Yeah. You know, they're tired after one half of football. So, um, you know, get yourself fit, be prepared to work hard. And I think realise it's difficult. It's difficult. That's what I was going to ask you. If you were a young lad trying to make it now, what kind of... Perf- what's the perfect criteria to make it in the modern game? And it's, it's a two-parter too, because what are like one or two more esoteric traits, like rarer traits that you would say, you know, do this one or two, do these one or two things, barely anybody's doing them, but people don't realise how important they are. I think it's the, my thing would be, there's, you know, there's going to be a few uh, football club and they get, to say they get a hundred applications for trials, they're all going to be good footballers. You've got to stand out over all of them. And whether that's through your CV, your video footage, if they're sending videos in. Um, I think the the hard work part and the being fit, I've learned that over time. I probably wouldn't have thought like that. I would have just thought, if you're the best player technically, you'll be all right. But I don't think it's the case. If you're the best player technically, you're not prepared to work hard and you're not prepared to listen um, that's what I'd say to you listen and just just accept that you don't know everything and you know yeah. it's, you know take advice on I've done it as a player as a coach as a scout is I listen to everyone so during this where I'm speaking to you I'll learn something and I'll take that away and I might then use it somewhere else and I think so many players are very quick to not listen to people um, you know who maybe have been in their shoes and done it and fouled or in successful way, um, I think it, you know it's, it's it's hard to say if there's something unique. I don't think there is anything unique you can do as such. I think you can find yourself your position and be truthful to yourself. So you know, I know everyone wants to be the tricky winger or the forward who scores the goals, but we're not all good at that. And if, to do that, you've got to be the best at it. You know, you've got to be better than the other hundred boys who are trying to become a striker. Um, if you're a good fullback, you're technically good, you work hard, you understand the game. Are there loads of them about? Probably not. And I think it's less competitive, probably, in the trial situation with the fullbacks and the centre like centre backs. It's very rare that I get a real good centre half come to an open trial. Um, you know, whether that's because they've already been picked up and they're playing, or just because we're not. We don't produce them big animal centre-halves anymore, do we? Because yeah. they're all footballing centre-backs now. So you tend to find at academies that the centre-backs are the ones who didn't quite cut in centre-midfield. Who drop back, yeah. And they move backwards. And the same with the full-backs. They'll be the wingers that didn't... I mean, Ashley Cole was a forward. Sol Campbell was a forward. Sol Campbell, um, wow. Yeah, I think Ledley Crew was... Sol Campbell actually played for Tottenham as a forward. Oh, wow. Not remember he, yeah, he played in a couple of games when he was young as a forward, yeah, and then moved to centre half. Um, Ledley King was a centre midfielder. I think Paul Konchesky was a wide player. None of these players has played at the back in their youth. Youthful. There's, there's an interesting yeah, story was, about uh, Ledley King. I think he was on Soccer M years ago. They asked uh, a couple of his mates who had made it in another industry. I think it might be music. And they said, you went to school with him. Was he just miles better than everybody else? They said, like, not at all. Like, he wasn't even the best mm. player. He just worked the hardest. And when there was a party, he stayed at home and trained the next morning. Yeah, there you go. That's, uh, and that goes back to the, that is, that's the unique thing, is that desire. I'd say we've been looking at a few podcasts and and I talked to a lot of players who did make it and things. And their difference, I would say the difference with them and me, as well as they're, they're obviously better than me. When I look back at the time I thought I was as good as everyone else but when we when you look back and you go do you know what he's 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 obviously a better player than me but what they did have that I didn't they had that they had a better mentality than me so when I spoke to players who played professional they got knockbacks as well so they got released at the same age I did but then what they did was 
they got their head down and said, right, I'm going to prove everyone wrong and I'm going to come make it. And I probably didn't do that. Um, I was probably mentally not as strong as them. And I think that is the, it's so important. And you realise that as you get older and you've been involved in the game longer, how important the mental side is. You can't just be very good. Yeah. You know, on a Saturday, you, you've got to, there's a lot more to it. You've got to train all week. You've got to train hard. You've got to put your body on the line all every day. You've got to put yourself through pain every day. Um, and then you've got to perform at a, le- a level every week as well. Do you, do you think having too many, sometimes having being blessed too much is, uh, is, is not a benefit? Like in terms of entrepreneurial success, you find a lot of rich kids never do that well. They usually actually go the other way because things were too easy. And I remember growing up, like I used to do a hundred meter sprinting. I was always like sub 11 seconds in terms of sprinting, always got on the pitch without a warm up. You could run down the wing, take on three or four whip across in. And, um, as I went through the ages, I found that the centre back would read what you were going to do. And you you do that long kick down the line and chase and the centre back would just come over, pick it up and intercept. And I saw that like the older you get or the higher level you start to play, the less things like pace um, ability on the ball, the less they're effective. It's more about the mental side of the game. Would you say that's true? I think it's, it is right. It's because everyone, when you're a kid and you're quick, you're quicker yeah. than the others because the gap is the gap is big. Yeah. So the higher you go, it closes. So there will be quick strikers in the Premier League. There's really quick players, and they cause certain centre halves a lot of problems because they're not as quick as them. But generally, everyone's quick. Like when you hear people say, oh, he's slow. He's not slow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's, not, he's just not rapid where, like the striker is. But they're all quick. You know? And it's, it all becomes about, it's a tactical, it's a chess match, isn't it? Yeah. So how am I going to get in behind him with a head start? Or how am I going to find a little bit of space with my clever movement? Because if you just stand still, there's not going to be a player playing at the highest level that if you stand still, you're going to beat when you receive the ball, um, you know, because they're going to deal with that. It's, it's being clever. You've got, you know, when you look at someone like Messi, he's this clever, he's amazing, isn't he? Once he drops in a pocket and gets turned, you're in trouble. Um, but he always plays forward. Um, you know, so, and that's the thing where I said about the Barcelona, you know, that they always play forward. Yeah. They're only looking, they're only moving it to the side to make a hole so they can go forwards. And I think that's the, where we get caught up in the tiki-taka a little bit and we start playing around the back and is there a purpose? You've got to have yeah. a reason. You know, you're changing the picture. Every time you switch the play, you change the picture in front of you. And that's why you do it, is you move the ball so you change the picture in front of you. There's nothing on in front of me. I'm going to move it to the side and hopefully their picture will change. They'll be able to find the person in front of them. But when you then just keep going back as well and you're, the, the player's head isn't even looking, for the forward option, they're discount, and then that's when it becomes a non-effective way of playing. Yeah, it's one thing I hate about defensive midfield is I feel like it's a vanity. It's, it's a great position, but it has vanity metrics around it. So you'll see a big signing in the Premier League, like uh, Man City, who I support, signed Rodri, who I actually think is a great player mm-hmm. for different reasons as to what they listed. But you'll see it on Sky Sports, and they'll say interceptions fifty. Um, they'll say things like headers one. 80 last season they say past success 98 percent and you think well all three of them are a logical fallacy because he's 6-2 he's in defensive mid he's going up against center attacking midfielders and strikers he's going to win the headers because most of them are small mm-hmm. uh the past success is like well, he's got time on the ball he's making a lot of you know just sideways passes to teammates that are wide open and then interceptions you think well he's, he's in the perfect position to do that you know, so it's not necessarily there's a lot of vanity metrics in that position. It kind of it kind of annoys me somewhat. I think the, it's changed, hasn't it? Because you've got the cams now, and you've got yeah. the CDM. And I get people come to the trial day, coming to clubs, and you say what position, and they actually say I'm CDM. You know, and they say or they say I'm a cam. A lot of cams around now, and um, false nines even I've had. You know, yeah. I'm a false nine, and it's like. It's crazy. And that's, you know, and as we, you mentioned earlier about the computer games, that's come from that. Yeah. Because um, there's no, you know, we don't set up and say you're Cam or you're, you know, we set up in a formation and midfielders have to defend and attack. Yeah. Strikers have to drop in and stop people getting on ball. You know, you can't, the Cam's a bit of a, 
source one with me. I, I find it, um, I think it's created a lot of players that don't want to defend. So they say I'm a cam because it's yeah. the old free roll, isn't it? You're in a free roll. That means I don't have to do any defending. I just wait here and make sure I'm in a hole to receive the ball when someone else gets it back for me. Well, what people forget about the cam and the false nine is those positions were created when somebody was so good that they needed to create a team around them or a position for exactly. them. So yeah. false nine was, Messi was so good that they said, okay, let's let's build the team around this singular position. You know, or you see somebody like a Lampard and you think, okay, let's create a cam position because he seems to be getting a lot of goals from that position. The thing is, Lampard, Lampard could play in a two though, couldn't he? Yeah, you know, he's brilliant. Chelsea, he played in a two and he's just in the box the box was like, he's very good at getting in the box late running there. I think they then created the free with him in it because it meant he could be more effective with getting forward. And I think that's the difference is rather than playing someone there just because they want to play with a cam, they if the manager says to himself, How can we get that in the box more if we play two midfielders behind him, that would you know, just let him loose a little bit more than that mate, that's good managing and yeah. good coaching. I think when we say, I want to play this formation and then write what players have I got to put in it, that's when you have a bit of a problem. Um, you know, I'd always look at my team first and say, if I've got three centre-halves and no full-backs, then I'm going to play three at the back because that's all I've got there to use to to play. So I think you need to look at your team and then pick your format. I think a lot of people want to play a certain way and we'll all have our way we want to play and then they try to fit their team into the way they want to play. I mean, sometimes it needs to be done the other way and you need to play to what you've got. Well, that's something that Guardiola does, doesn't he? He signs players who can play multiple positions. Um, Mm. Do you think that helps in terms of being scouted? Somebody who, I I mean, it's hard to see on one day, but... You know what? It's It's a real tough one, this one, because... At the same time that you can become quite valuable, I think as you go down the leagues, it's, it's great because I'll speak to our manager and we'll say he can play three positions and we only have to pay one wage out because we've got yeah. we've got a budget that means it has to be spread around and you have to be smart with it. So having a fullback that can also play at centre-half or a fullback that can play in centre midfield and left midfield and left back, it's going to help us because we only have to sign one player. Um and you've covered three positions. I think at the highest level, they don't have to worry about things like that because um, they'll have enough players and they'll want the top players in that position. They wouldn't want someone who can just do a job there. Um, I think the danger with it for players is you never establish yourself in a team. I think that's the negative. And I'd almost use Milner again in that, yeah. that he's played everywhere and he's never really been right. He's starting there every week. Yeah, you know, we never know where he's going to play because he's that he he would do a job and get get a seven out of ten everywhere, even at centre half he would go in there and do a job and so. Um, but because of that, he's never established himself as England's best number four or England's best number eight. You know, so I think that can, I think being adaptable is key, um, and understanding all positions is key so that you can do a job there and be prepared to do it at your at your best. But I think to be to just say I can play anywhere probably wouldn't do you massive it wouldn't I don't think that'd give you any edge over anyone else. Yeah. Um are there any kind of red flags like what are the things that you if you see something are you like that's a big no like that's you're never going to make it or is it what does that base around? I think, if any, it's attitude, I think. It's, yeah. That's probably my biggest bugbear is like, you know, someone will come and take part in a game and I'm there and I try and give them a bit of advice and they they almost, like, tell you you're wrong. And, you know, <laughs> sort of, no, no, this is how I, you know. And I think attitude is like, it's again, over time I've sort of learned that, that you get players with excellent attitudes and, you know, they'll do well wherever they go because people will like them. Um, coaches will want to work with them because they want to be coached. Um, yeah, you know, and that that side of it, the attitude side, and you know, not just not thinking that beating three players and then turning back again and beating them again is you know going to get you noticed. Because I think decision making is something massive that I look for. Um, because if someone makes the right decisions and they might be getting it wrong, 
So they might try and switch a ball, but they're, they're only sort of nine, ten years old, so they haven't got the power to do it. But they, they you know it's the right pass. Is that something you can, maybe, can you teach that? Can you teach like a yeah, well, Van that, that boy is gonna, I think that boy is going to get bigger, isn't he? And he's yeah. going to be able to hit that pass. So the fact he's looking for it, um, and I think that's something, again, where I spoke about earlier, it comes with experience and time of scouting and coaching, is I wouldn't have noticed that when I first started scouting. That would have been, oh, he gave the ball away. Yeah. Whereas now I think I know what he tried there, and that was the right pass. You know, and he, he just couldn't execute it properly. Um, and I, I'm massive for that. I look for decision-making all the time. So, you know, you see some and they do something and it comes off and they score and you say to yourself, he didn't mean that. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so that's the opposite. But again, I notice that now and I know that and I'll make a decision on that and say, you know, I'm not, I don't think that was a great decision. I think he just got away with it. Yeah. But I think your your attitude and your decision making and things like that is, but the the attitude of the way you turn up, get there on time. I think they're the things that really aggravate me from players is they get this opportunity at a trial or a club and they get there late and they walk in as if the club are waiting for them yeah. or the people are waiting for them rather than the other way around and. You know, they don't apologise for being late. That side of it, I think your attitude, you can always, that can always be good. You, you see Roy Keane has a big issue with a lot of things in the modern game, don't you? Where, where do you stand on, let's say if a player shows up and they've, they look more like a pop star, is that something that's okay in modern skating or is it more like, you know, do you, do you instantly have an opinion? It's funny because they all stand out, won't they, yeah. from the beginning. That's the, so they will, they will tend to get scouted, them guys, because as soon as you turn up to the game, you Gonna go. Oh, look at him! He yeah. looks the part. You know, and I, I do it. You look. You turn up to the game. I go. He looks like a footballer. Yeah. yeah. What does that mean? <laughs> you know. What does that mean? But in my mind, I can. And you know, I've done it before, and I've gone to a game, and I'll say, "Them four there will be the best four players." And I haven't even seen them touch a ball yet. Yeah. And I can just see by what the equipment they've brought with them. You know, they've got their studs. They've got their moulds. They've got their shin bands. They've got everything they need. They were there first on time with their, whatever they needed to bring their paperwork, whatever it is. They were there. They come and shake your hand and they, you know, they look the part. They act the part. They're professional. And that goes a long way. And it, they'll be like that for a reason because they understand, you know, what, what it takes. And, you know, you'll find they work hard. And, you know, so it does. I think that I've got, got a problem with how people look. If they look the pop star, if they can play and, they're making good decisions and their their attitudes right. Then, you know, then that that'll be the decision that I make it on. Yeah, and uh, what sort of uh, I've got about two more questions. I don't want to keep you too long, so otherwise, uh, you know, we'll end up oh, talking right. about football for hours. Um, <laughs> good job. There's no football on. We could have gone for a long time. Um, yeah, that's it. Yeah. What part does confidence play? Oh, massive! Is it a massive confidence? I think is it. That's the, I think that, you know, no matter what level you play at, no matter who you are, you're going to go through times where it's difficult and you can't get your form or you're playing badly or the team's not performing. And if you're, if you're not confident in your own ability or it's difficult, you know, I think you have to be like that. We've, we spoke briefly before as well about being at a club. When you go into a club, it's not an easy environment to walk into. You don't just go in and everyone goes, oh, great, you're the greatest player in the world and it's all going to be easy. You have to have a little bit of arrogance about you and, you know, fine line, isn't there? Arrogance and confidence. Yeah. It's fine line. And if you've got, you've got to be a bit arrogant, you have, um, you know, and you've got to believe in yourself. I've got no problem with players who are arrogant as long as they back it up with doing what they've been asked to do and working hard. And that's, I think that's, that's the, that's a difficult thing for players that are arrogant is just to control it and channel it in the right way so if there's uh, any just final question if there's any lads watching this and um, you know they're interested in what you're saying they th- or parents maybe who have watched this and thought this is really interesting I like what this guy's saying how can people get in contact with you um, if they go on to www.ukfootballscouting.co.uk and then once this is obviously at the moment we're all paused on yeah. you know, waiting to find out what 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 we can do, but you know, as soon as as soon as this all ends, we'll be back and doing trial. We we cover 
all the UK. So we go, we do events in London, um, Cardiff, Coventry, Manchester, um, and we've just gone to Southampton and Plymouth as well, um, where we're going to do events down there as well. And it's just a, you know, it's just a chance for players to come down. And what they've got to remember, the odds of getting scouted, I mean, everyone wants to be scouted. I get that. Everyone wants to be a footballer. The odds of that is tiny. So what they need to do is come down, meet us. I'm at all the trials, so if they got, you know, I'll, help, I'll answer questions. And I want it to be where we can educate them a little bit and they'll come and they'll learn something and they'll go away a little bit more educated and they'll be a better player for it. Um, yeah, and the, the crazy thing is there will be players that do get scouted and do get a football club from it. Now, I spoke about George, the Spanish guy. He came to one of our trials on a Sunday and I had him training with a club where he's on Wednesday. Wow. And that was just seeing him for that one game because I knew that you know he had something, you know, yeah. uh, something that we wanted someone else to have a look at and to test him in more but it's different for each player so some players I might say you know I really like it I want to see him again you know so as much as they want to hear the player and the parents want to hear oh you know this club may not have interested him or whatever that's a positive you know because this kid this kid might never have been heard of before and all of a sudden now he wants to be watched again and you know sometimes it takes me a year to place a player two years other players, it takes three days, you know. So it's just a lot of luck involved as well, you know. To, I see a player, I might see a winger one day, and it just happened that a club had spoke to me the week before looking for a winger. That's luck. Yeah, that's being in the right place at the right time, and that that all comes into it as well. Um, it's not as straightforward as this. I turn up, I show how good I am, and then I get a club. It's not. I'm for, I wish it was and make everything a lot a lot easier. <laughs> so um, uh, you know, it's just about the more people say to me, "What about other trial companies?" What about other? I always say, "Just just go on. Go, you never know who will be watching." And as much as I hopefully I know what I'm doing is, I still am limited to you know I might not have a club that I'm working with that want a player in that position or and someone else might. So you know, get yourself fit. Be prepared to work hard and then put yourselves in the right places because the saying you've got to be in the right place at the right time, you've still got to do the right things when you're there. Two quick fire questions. Who's your perfect player ever? <laughs> um, Paul Gascoigne's massive for me, but he weren't he weren't complete, obviously. So, you know, he's probably gone against everything I've said you should be as a footballer, but um <laughs> with a hard work. I think Luka Modric probably. Yeah. Um when Luke and Modric played at Tottenham, he was always in space. Somehow he managed, the pitch could look tight and the ball would come near him and all of a sudden he had two, three, four, five yards around him where he just turned his body and just opened up the other way and left two or three players just standing still. Um, amazing players. No accident. He went on and played for Real Madrid after yeah. he was at um, you know, and when it, the crazy thing is, when he comes to Tottenham, he was playing left wing. Yeah. And um, Harry Redknapp, he, I think Harry Redknapp signed him. Who did he? You know, he was playing left midfield, sort of a left attacking midfield role, and then played him in the middle. And I remember the time that all the Spurs fans were saying, he's too small to play in there. Now, I think he done right. <laughs> done right. The, the second one, who's the best player that's never made it? The best player that's never made it. That you know. That I know. I was waiting for you to say yourself. <laughs> I, w- I was thinking it. I, w- I would have. <laughs> I would have yeah, said it. <laughs> yeah. I, don't, I, don't, I don't know. That's a, that's a tough one because I'm, um, I'm a little bit negative. I always say to people I'm a bit, I come across very negative. Yeah. And, but it's because I'm realistic. It's because you're a tough So fan. I'm very much that. Yeah, it, it could be that, yeah. <laughs> um, but I just always look at it and say, I, I always think there's a reason you never made it. And, you know, there are guys I know, fantastic players, and people say, how is he never a footballer? Because he used to drink. Yeah. Drink, like, drink and drink, drink, or because he don't work hard. There's always a reason. No one no one got left, really, I don't think. You know, there's no one really? I know that I think, I can't think of a reason why he didn't make it. Yeah. Yeah, so I think there's always something that happened, whether that's yourself, 
or a situation, something happened. There's a reason why you didn't make it. I don't think anyone just got not seen. Yeah, I think that's a good note to end on. All right then, John, thank you so much for your time. I, I, I hope that this helps a few young lads, maybe some parents. I mean, we, we've answered a whole range of questions there, so I hope it's you know, going to benefit a, a load of people and give, give a better insight to maybe players who are still trying to make it on what they need and players, maybe some sense of reassurance or you know, calmness to the players that, let's say closure to those who didn't make it, um, who are maybe looking back and saying, what was the problem? They might listen to this and uh, hear what you're, you're saying and think, okay, with you know, in an older mindset, I can see now what went wrong. So, yeah, really yeah, I think, appreciate I think you coming when, on. Once you get older, you do do that. Don't yeah. you? you sort of, you know, when, like I said, when I played and there was a guy, Tommy Penalt, I don't know if you've heard of Tommy Penalt, but he was, at, Col- he was at Colchester at the same time as me. And at the time, I was, I wanted to play in centre midfield. And when I look back, like this, this guy brought up in France and he went on and played league football and uh, he was, he was a good, good player. <laughs> Yeah, and he was better than me by miles, do you know what I mean? So yeah. um, I think you just when you look back, you realise, um, I'm sure there'll be people who say, I'm wrong, and they know people who should have made it, because football's about opinion, isn't it? And yeah. that's what I always say to players as well. So these players that might see this, that have been told they're not good enough, I might have told them they're not good enough, don't believe it. You know, it's only that one person's opinion or that one club's opinion. And we may we get things wrong. You know, we're just doing it on what we saw. I might have only saw that player for one hour, two hours. Where, when you work with that player every day, day in, day out, you get to know them better. And, you know, never never take that no as a, you know, you're not. I'm not saying no, you're not going to play professional football. I'm saying at this time, I wouldn't put you into a professional football club. Go away, work hard, prove, prove me wrong and prove other scouts and clubs wrong. Nice little bit of motivation to uh, to end on as well. Okay, okay then, John. Um, thank you so much for your time, mate. I really appreciate it. I really do. And hopefully we can get together and do a couple of documentaries and uh, push this kind of football um, format a bit further and see what we can do for a lot of younger players out there. But thank you, mate. Really appreciate it. No, thanks, Chris. Thanks for having me, mate. Speak to you soon.